following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Well, we've been talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a term in Scripture that comes up again and again. Many have different understandings of what that even means. Uh, We did say that after this service, we were going to pray for people to receive uh, that baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I have to tell you, this week I was um, out up in the Chatsworth Mountains. I like to go up there and just pray and just kind of seek God. So I was up there on a rock hanging out with God, and I feel like the Lord told me I got a little ahead of him on this one. Uh, The Lord reminded me that the early church, when they received um, an extra endowment of God's grace, uh, when they received power from the Holy Spirit, God said, I want you to wait. The word in some translations is tarry. Uh, We don't use the word very much, but tarry means to wait, to slow down. And I know we're kind of a Starbucks generation where we go through the drive-thru, we get our latte, we pick up this to go, and we're flying around, we got everything on demand, and we live that lifestyle. But with the Holy Spirit, no. With the Holy Spirit, tarry, wait. Those who wait upon the Lord, those who wait upon the Lord, those who tarry, will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, walk and not be faint. There's something about waiting on God. And we see that modeled in the book of Acts. And that's actually where we're at today. We're continuing the book of Acts. But I want to say that we're going to offer this uh, opportunity uh, for prayer, for the Spirit of God to fill your life to another dimension. We're going to unpack today what it means and what it looks like. But that's going to be a week from Tuesday. It's March 25th. It's in your bulletin. And the reason we want to give this time, some of you, when we talk about a topic such as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, there are a few different camps. Uh, There are some that, hey, I never even heard of it. I don't know what it means. Beautiful. Stay tuned. You'll discover. There are some that maybe uh, somebody told you what it means and you have a negative connotation about what it is. But from Scripture, you're going to realize this is good. It is from God and it should be desired. Uh, And then there are some others that you're like, great, this is awesome. It's about time we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I want to be sensitive to that overview, but this is the setup. Jesus said, turn, follow me, learn from me, all through scripture. This is the thesis in the gospels. And then he said, now as you've seen me do, you do also. Wow, tall order. Do what Jesus did, wow. He's like, look, you're going to go. I'm going to the Father, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You're going to go into the whole world, and you guys are going to be world changers through what I'm going to do with you and through you. But before you go anywhere, he said, wait. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive power. And so I just want to sum up a few of these things. We're going to be in Acts chapter uh, 1. We're going to pick up right there. If you guys want to open up your Bible, we were talking about this last week. Uh, But the setup is God is saying in Zechariah 4, 6, it's not by strength or by might, it's by the power of my spirit. And there are even Christians who were raised in some sort of Christian background, whether it was Catholic or maybe conservative Baptist or some other denomination where we learned about the Father and we learned about the Son, but we did not learn about the Holy Spirit. Or if we did, it was like something barely and let's move on. Let's not talk about the Holy Spirit. And, you know, this is important. This is... Uh, You know, how many of you guys know that tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day? St. Patrick's Day. Okay, my mother came over on a slow boat from Ireland. 
okay, at 20 years old, 22. She came over on a slow boat from Ireland. And my father's parents came over on a slow boat from Ireland uh, to New York City. And the story is that St. Patrick was a missionary, goes to Ireland. These people are full-blown pagans. They're like barking at the moon, worshiping the sun. I mean, it's whacked out stuff, right? The early Druids, right? The early Celts were a a pretty whacked out society. But he goes over to explain one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And they weren't really getting it. And he realized, how am I going to explain this to these people? He looks down, he's praying, he sees a shamrock, he picks it up, and it's three leaves with one stem. It's one plant, but there's three distinct parts of it. And he's saying three persons, one God. And so I know we understand the principle of Father, Son, and Spirit, but many don't know the role of the Holy Spirit. And life without the Holy Spirit is a major missing uh, life. It's not the abundant life that Jesus calls us to. In fact, the next level, doing ministry without the Holy Spirit, ministry without the Holy Spirit is like an offering without the fire. It looks good, it's well-intended, just doesn't burn. (laughs) And we see when the Spirit of God shows up in our lives, things burn in a good way. Uh, The term being on fire for God, having this passion on the inside is a result of the Spirit of God doing something in you and actually coming out of you. And so uh, the setup is this. And, and for, this is for some that um, maybe if some of you this morning have a background where you have a concern or a caution or a doubt about what this baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, I just want to set it up theologically this way. The Bible speaks of uh, three uh, key phrases in relation to the Holy Spirit, Spirit in the New Testament. The first one is the Spirit is with people and the Spirit is drawing people to Jesus because uh, no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit's drawing them. And the Spirit is drawing people. And what he's doing, he's convicting us of our own lifestyle and convicting of us of our need for Jesus. So the Spirit, at this point, is not living in people, but is certainly drawing. And I look back at my life and I say, yeah, but I remember exactly when that was. Spirit was pulling me around for a couple few years trying to get me and I was resisting and fighting and going, no, I got a better way. And finally, I held up that white flag and go, what am I doing fighting God? How long are you going to fight God? I mean, talk about a, I mean, that's one battle you don't want to have. You don't want to fight God. And I was fighting God. And it was the spirit drawing because he's with us on the outside trying to tug and encourage and, you know, whisper to us, but we're reluctant. But then when you say yes to Jesus, Ephesians says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not just on the outside trying to lead us now. The Holy Spirit is inside every believer. So every believer in the resurrected Jesus, if he's your Lord, your Savior, if you've accepted, turned, and followed him, the Spirit of God lives in every believer. That's important because some have made the reckless mistake of saying that people that don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit don't have the Holy Spirit, and that is a major error to ever say something like that. Every born-again believer has the Spirit of God living in them. But also, we see born-again believers, New Testament disciples, apostles, waiting for this next step, this next impartation that Jesus promised. And that's just not the Spirit on the outside leading, uh, steering us, with us. It's not the Spirit in us, living in. It's the Spirit 
pouring in and flowing out of us. It's being baptized. It's being immersed, literally like a, like a ship at the bottom of the ocean, fully engulfed, if you will, so that the Spirit can come out of our lives in new and explosive ways. And this is what the Bible sets up. In fact, Schofield says this, and he's a, brilliant, he's a Bible scholar, and he's very accurate in saying this. Uh, the New Testament distinguishes between, between having the Spirit, which is true of all believers, and being filled with the Spirit, which is the believer's privilege and duty. In fact, in the New Testament, when you read even the book of Acts, you'll see that there is this filling with the Holy Spirit that occurs, but there were also subsequent fillings. Subsequent fillings where the Spirit filled people again. And, and they got to a point in their life where they're just pouring their life out and God is using them, but for some reason they're, they're running, uh, running on empty again. And they love God and God loves them. But they realize I need to come back to the source again. I need to come back and I need to wait on the Lord and I need to get filled again. And guess what? God fills them again. And so we see this theme in scripture about being filled with the Holy Spirit. In uh, Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been, listen to this, clothed with power from on high. I'm gonna send you, but don't go anywhere until I'm gonna send you what I promised. You're gonna be clothed with power. The word power is dunamis for dynamite. Something spiritually dynamite that you can't make up on your own. God's gonna clothe you with some spiritual dynamite if you wait for the promise so that you can go out and be a world changer, but don't go anywhere till you receive it. Isn't that interesting? This is the promise. This is the setup. Acts chapter one and verse one, and I'm just kind of skimming along where we left off last week, but this is what he says. Luke is writing this book, and he says, uh, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Luke is saying this, Jesus did all these radical things and taught all these radical things. And Luke is saying, I already wrote that in the Gospel of Luke. That was my former book. But now I'm doing Luke part two. It's called Acts. This one is, the first one was the Acts of Jesus. And now it's the Acts of Jesus through his people. Really? Yeah. And Jesus said, I'm going to be with you always. And the people are like, how is that going to be? You're going, you're, you know, you died and you're, you're going back to heaven. And how is that going to be? He's like, because I'm, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you my spirit. And I'm going to be with you. So Jesus is going to continue to do things through his people. Even though it seems like it's in his absence, it's still very much in his presence. Does that make sense? The spirit of God still doing things through his people. And this is the promise. And today, Jesus is still doing things and still teaching things through his people by the power of the Holy Spirit. It will always line up with scripture. We always test it with the word of God. But Jesus is still working. And this is the problem. When believers understand the Bible but don't understand this principle, I think there's, it, it's really unfortunate because we simply, the conclusion is we simply don't have the power to get it done. You and I do not have the power or the knowledge or the experience to get the work of God's kingdom done. We don't. Nobody does. The Spirit of God does. 
And he is always looking for people from whom he uses. And the whole narrative of Scripture, even in the Old Testament, is not God finding the most talented person, finding someone with the right heart where he can go, ha, watch what I'm going to do in them and through them. You look at Gideon, you look at David, all the least likely people, he's like, I'm taking him. Even Israel, smallest nation, I'm grabbing you guys, I'm going to do this through, you're going to be priests to the world. And this is God's narrative, to find people with the right hearts where he can do profound things through them. And this is where this continues to go in, in Acts. It says in verse 4 of chapter 1, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the apostles are going, We remember John putting everyone under the water as repent and turn and get ready for the kingdom of God. We remember that. And you're saying in a few days we're going to be immersed with the Holy Spirit? What does that even look like? What does it mean? I mean, everyone's like, wow, it's a few days. We're waiting. (laughs) We're excited. We're expecting this. We're waiting. This is no joke. This isn't like, oh, cool, let's see what happens. This is like, wow, this is prophetic. This is fulfillment. The prophet Joel said there's a time when God's about to pour out his spirit and sons and daughters, it says, uh, sons and daughters will prophesy. So prophecy is coming out of sons and daughters, not just the prophets, sons and daughters, the people of God, the children speaking forth the oracles of God is gonna happen. Young men will have vision and old men will have dreams. Like this is gonna happen on a whole different level. This is, these are spiritual realities that are not the norm. And God says, that's right, I want to do things that are not the norm. I want to do the extraordinary through the ordinary. And there is the miracle of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, God doing the extraordinary through the ordinary. That's been the narrative throughout Scripture. It just gets way more radical on this day of Pentecost. And so he's telling them, in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be clothed with power from on high. And verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Once again, you're going to go everywhere. You're going to change the world or Jesus saying, I'm going to change the world through you, but don't go until you wait. You have to wait for power. You have to press in, seek be hungry, and I would say a prerequisite is empty your own heart of saying, God, I want all my stuff out, because <laughs> maybe I got so much of my own junk that there's no room for you. You know, even believers to say, you know what, hey, you know, the world has been rubbing off on me, God, and I want to pour out all that influence and stuff because I want you to fill me up, and God's like, beautiful. That's what waiting on the Lord does, and that's what we're going to do on this night that we're offering this opportunity is for you to search your heart and I'm gonna give you some scriptures in a minute. I encourage you to write them down, pray about them, read them and see what happened in the book of Acts, not just here, but subsequent fillings of the Holy Spirit where you're going, wow, there is a theme for the people of God and it's not just the apostles, it's a bunch of believers and there's an ongoing theme about God's spirit being poured out, people being baptized in the Holy Spirit or filled with the Spirit to where their life has an outflow and an effect that's noteworthy. It says in verse 12, Then they returned to Jerusalem and they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. 
goes on to say, they all joined together constantly in prayer, a group numbering 120. We know from the narrative there's men and women in this group seeking God, pressing in. I said last week there was probably a lot more than 120 believers in Israel after seeing everything Jesus did and raising the dead and feeding the multitudes, but there was 120 in this time of pressing in, saying, God, we get it. We want the promise. We are seeking you. We're going to wait for you. And this 120 got in on an experience that changed their lives, and it changed the lives of all those around them. See, because when there's an outflow of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't just affect your life. The point is it affects everyone around you, and therein lies the beauty of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 1 of chapter 2, and I'm skimming along because we covered this last week, but this is what happened on the day of, of the promise. It was the day of Pentecost. And it's 50 days, 50 days after Passover. So Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, walked with the apostles for about 40 days, sharing with them, proving, eating with them. He showed himself to 500 people at the same time, Scripture says. There's people who later on would be told, we will throw you to the lions unless you deny Jesus. And they're like, we can't help it. We saw him. Do what you got to do. We saw him alive. We're the people of the resurrection. Do what you have to do. Many saw him. Then this is um, 50 days after the cross. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speak in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Alamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Paphilia, Egypt and residents and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? The setup is this. There's a moment of prayer and unity, and I believe it's a prerequisite for an outpouring of the Spirit. Prayer and unity. God's not a God of division. The enemy comes to divide and conquer, He's all about divisiveness. And, and beware of that in your own life. When it comes to the family of believers, beware of where the devil tells you, oh yeah, what about them? And what about, beware of that voice because it's not the spirit of God dividing and cutting up families in the family of believers. The spirit of God is all about unity. Um, and in this case here, they're all together. For, they have differences. They got different backgrounds. They got different preferences. They have different styles. They're totally different individuals. You got Simon the Zealot who wants to overthrow Rome, pretty much. And you got, you know, you know, this whole mix of people in the same place. You got Peter, you got John. You look at these personalities, you're like, wow, these guys are all over the place, you know. But they have Jesus in common. 
And because they have Jesus in common, they have their aim down. And they're able to put other differences aside and say, God, we want your kingdom to come and we want you to use us and work through us and we believe that you're sending power and we want to be those instruments of your, we want to be vessels of power for your glory. Do things through us. Let people not see us, God. Let them see you when they see us. This is what this group was in this upper room. This wasn't some average group. Men and women saying, God, we want more and we believe your promise. And this 120, they're in prayer and unity. And it is a prerequisite. And then, bam, suddenly. And when you see these suddenlies in Scripture, always look what comes before the suddenly. It, it, it gives you a little idea how, what pleases God and how he works. But prayer and unity was part of the suddenly. And suddenly, God says, it's time for the gift. Right now, in the middle of your prayer meeting, it's time for the gift. And it says a couple of interesting things. They hear... They hear what what seems to be a violent wind from heaven. Wind is the word pneuma in Greek. It's the same word we use for spirit. The Holy Spirit is the the breath, the wind, the life-giving breath of God. But it is more than a wind. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. But there is an evidence in this mighty rushing wind. And they're like, what is up with this? So there's something tangible in this experience. And they see what looked like tongues of fire which it's hard to describe, but you see a fire and it kind of does this a little bit. And somehow they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separate somehow and it appeared to sit above everyone's head. And they're like, this one source of fire was now distributed throughout the room. And this is a pretty amazing sight. And you wonder why fire? Well, John the Baptist said, hey, I'm baptizing you with water. But the one coming after me, He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. People are like, what does that even mean? (laughs) It means this. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And on this day of Pentecost, the fire of God, which by the way, fire was symbolic in the Old Testament of God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. He's looking at the fire and God, I I hear you in there. You're, You're in there. And Israel was led by a fire by night and a cloud by day. So God made his presence known through fire and here this fire from heaven apparently separated and sits on them. Heaven is imparting something and and God wants them to all to know that this is from heaven and it's being divided and distributed to you in a way that you've never experienced. These are all believers. They're already Christians. This whole room was Christians. This whole room already had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in John's gospel earlier, he sa- it said he breathed on the, them, the disciples, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They believe, Jesus, they believe Jesus died. They believe he rose again. They are believers. And he said, wait, yes, you're believers, and heaven's a reality for you. But before you can go public, you need power. Wait, wait, wait. And this whole crew is waiting, and here is the response from heaven. And then the wind... It's invisible, but it's powerful. And Jesus said, so it is with the Spirit of God. Blows like the wind. You don't know where he comes or where he goes, but he's moving and he's doing things, and that's noteworthy, and you can tell something's happening, but you just can't be sure. Did it come from here or where? I don't know, but it's recognizable. It's powerful. It's noteworthy. Any of you that know about firefighting, you know that wind and fire together are an unstoppable combination. You can't stop wind and fire. And so it is with the church of Jesus Christ when wind and fire of the Spirit of God is on them. In fact, this church could not be stopped. 
This church could not, there were people trying to lock up people, men, women, and children, stone them, throw them in jail, and crush this thing before it grows. And guess what? (laughs) Wind and fire can't be stopped. The church went deep and wide and started to go around the whole globe, and your birthday today is given a date because of when Jesus came, because wind and fire can't be stopped. Can't be stopped. This is a passionate area of my heart because I think so many Christians don't get this part. You'll you'll love the Lord, and you're going to heaven, you're saved, you got the Spirit in you, but until you're ready to say, God, work through me to change the world around me, I want to serve you, and I want this baptism of service, this is where it gets good, family. This is where it comes alive. This is on a whole new level right here. But so many like, oh, I don't know about that, and you know, what do I do with that, and You know, it says in verse 4, and here's a part that might confuse some, and I just want to bring a little bit of clarity to it. Verse 4, it says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Uh, The first thing I want to say is that the Spirit enabled. Anything that happened in this story, the Spirit enabled it. So whatever this language is, the Spirit enabled it. Nothing learned, nothing studied, not because they had an influence from around them, The Spirit enabled the language. So the proper way to refer to this is a spiritual language. Why? Because the Spirit enabled the language. So it's appropriate to say there's some sort of spiritual language because the Spirit enabled it. There's a spiritual language going on, and the word is glossa, where we get our word glossary from. There are words in the back. You want to know what they mean? Go to the back. You can look them up. But there's a glossalia or a glossa. There's a, there's a language being spoken. It means one that is not acquired. It's not learned. It's not studied. And it's because the Spirit enabled them. Now, in Acts, I want to say this because this has been a mistake that the church has made in the past. Some have said, so therefore... If you are filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, you must speak in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, you're not. How many of you have heard that before? Okay, that's not, that's not what the word says. In fact, when we look at all the subsequent fillings, there are some that there's no mention at all of that. And so I want to say that because people have made this mistake of people with a, a spiritual language pointing at others and others point, and it's like that's a reckless approach to I think an understanding of God's word. Some in this area did. In fact, in Acts, when I was just, you know, uh, spending time in it this week, I looked at seven fillings of the Holy Spirit specifically. And I'd like you to write these down because if you have a heart for understanding this more and you want to come back and receive prayer, you really got to seek God on your own, study what the word says, uh, press in. Uh, But we looked at this one here in Acts 2.4 that we're reading today. Uh, there's another one in Acts 4, uh, 31. Write these down. You can look at them later. Ironically, in Acts 4, 31, they were filled again. It says, we got filled again, just like it was in the first time. And you're like, really? I thought you guys were already filled. Yeah, but there was time and space and a lot of life happened and, and we were getting running low and we were out of steam and we were, God, we need you to fill us again, God. Really? I thought you were already filled. We were, but we needed to be filled again. And I know in my life, I've been filled. And I know I need to be filled again. I hope you come to terms with this, family. This is a theme throughout the book of Acts. 431 is filled again. Um, We also see in Acts uh, 817 and also 917 through 20. You're going to look at two more outpourings of the Spirit in these cases right here. 
Um, also, please write down Acts 10.44 to 48. It's 10.44 to 48. Also, 11.15. And also, 19 verses 1 through 7. Um, about half of these experiences in the Holy Spirit, there was spiritual language that went along with in some way, and the other half don't. So you can't say this equals that. And in fact, I just want to say Paul also says about spiritual language or uh, tongues as it's called in the Bible, that God's a God of order and he's got an order for its usage. And although we're not going to talk about that today, any that have had a bad experience with it, it's usually because someone was running off on a on a tangent, and they were way out of order, and it freaked people out, right? Has anybody ever been kind of a little bit weird, a little bit? Come on, honesty in God's house, right? <laughs> Paul was saying the same thing in 1 Corinthians 12, he's, 14. He said, people are going to think you're nuts if you don't do this in order. It's going to freak some people out. And people have been freaked out because it wasn't in order. But he also says the question, do all speak in tongues? And he's saying it rhetorically like, no, of course all don't have this gift or this gift or this gift. He's saying, of course, it's obvious that all don't have everything. He said, you can desire all the gifts. So I don't want, this is not, this is not about a spiritual language or not. Anybody who makes this about a spiritual language misses the whole point. The point is the Spirit of God filled them and the world exploded around him. Now, here's one thing I do have to say about this spiritual language. What did the crowd hear? We know they got filled. We know what the 120, there's men and women in the supper room, rushing wind, tongues of fire, sitting on them. Their life was changed. They received the promise. There's this language going on. But what did the crowd hear? Now, this crowd, I want to qualify. These were not just random people in the street. These were God-seeking people. These were Jewish people who loved Elohim, they loved Adonai, they loved the God of the Old Testament, they loved him, they traveled a long way to go to the temple and praise him. These are good people. These are not, these are not weird, these are people who love God and stop their world to go worship him. And while they're in Jerusalem, and while they're going up to the temple, they look over and go, what is up with this? Now here's the thing. Half of these people who love God go, that is whacked. They're drunk. These guys are off their rocker. They are nuts. This is gibberish. Half the crowd of people who love God are saying this is nonsense. I think it's the same today. The Christian faith. People who love God go, that is nonsense. The other half of the crowd who spoke the same language as the other crowd half who said it was nonsense said, no, I don't know about you, but I'm not hearing nonsense. I'm hearing a spiritual, I'm hearing praises to God. There's, there's some praises to God. It doesn't say they were speaking to the people, hey, listen, everybody, or they weren't saying, hola, como estas, buenos dias. They weren't talking to people. They're saying, gracias a Dios para su hijo, el rey de reyes, el hijo de Dios. And people are like, wait a minute. I'm hearing praise to God. Don't you hear that? No, I just think they're drunk. It's baffling to me that the same thing happened in front of, say, for example, Spanish speakers. And some are hearing, I'm straight up hearing praise. Some are like, I just hear a bunch of gibberish. Isn't that interesting? 
So what actually happened on the day of Pentecost? Were they possibly speaking in all these different languages or is it possible that the people heard in their language because it does say each heard in their own language and some got it and some didn't get it. But I think today this thing of tongues, some gets it, some thinks it's nonsense. I don't want to focus on that but I I, I just want to say that because everywhere else in scripture that tongues comes up, everywhere else in scripture that it comes up, it has nothing to do, nothing to do with a foreign language, a foreign human language. It has to do with a spiritual language going vertically, not horizontally. Does that make sense? It's not a horizontal language. It's a vertical language. And so I only want to say that because either this case in Acts is different and it is a vertical language or they're all the same vertical language to God and some people get it and some people don't. Does that make sense? So you can pray, you can have your own conviction on that, but uh, you can read about that. But here's the point. The point is not the language. The point isn't, you know, a, 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 a spiritual language or not. The point is this. When the Spirit of God came upon them, they were changed. And all of a sudden, Peter gets up and he speaks up. And the Spirit of God is so overflowing out of his life that he goes on this discourse Everyone is riveted because they're hearing God speak through people. Remember my sons and daughters, they're going to prophesy. They're going to speak forth my heart. That's you at the bus stop talking to someone. That's you at Trader Joe's. That's you on the job, workplace or family. When someone's going through it and you can say, listen, God's got more for you. And you start to speak to them where God is speaking through you after this subsequent baptism, because that's what God wants to do. And that's what he did in the book of Acts. And that's what he wants to do in our city. God's speaking through his people to change the world around. People aren't making this stuff up. Paul didn't say, here, I got a cool script. Let me read it to you. I prepared this last night. He's getting up going, mm, the spirit of God is, wants you to know this. God wants you to know this. And people are listening. And that day, in front of that whole crowd, half thought they were drunk, Half heard praises to God, but out of that massive crowd, 3,000 people said, that is legit. What you're saying is true. Jesus is the Messiah we've been waiting for. Don't know how we missed him. We get it. We're going to turn and follow. We're also going to learn because we too want to imitate. And they too got in later on when you see in the book of Acts how the story unfolds, where Paul says to disciples, to believers, you guys are believers. You've been a believers a while. Been believers a while. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? They're like, no, we didn't hear about that. Great, we're going to pray for you to do that. And you're thinking, really? And you, so you see this rolled out in Scripture. And you go home and you read those other Scriptures, and you're going to find that. But if you're a note taker, please write these things down. Uh, these two things. In fact, this would be great if the worship team comes up. Uh, the purpose of Pentecost was to turn to make the messenger, to make the message part of the messenger. The purpose of Pentecost was to turn the believers into what they actually preached. There shouldn't be a separation from the messenger and the message. And the day of Pentecost merged that together. So if you're a note taker, two things to write down is the message must be part of the messenger. That's the way God wants it. Don't go to the world till you receive power. This message needs to be part of you and I'm gonna pour out my spirit and it's gonna change things for you. And all of a sudden, Peter, the message becomes part of the messenger 
And he steps up and he speaks up and the world has changed around him. Very cool. And the second point is this. Ministry happens when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Ministry happens when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. I don't care what ministry that is. That could be down at the local schoolyard doing a basketball ministry with kids. That could be homeless ministry, prison ministry. It could be feeding the home. It could be anything. It could be ministry on your workplace because you want to be the one who represents God. You want to be the light in your workplace, wherever it is, on your neighborhood. Cooperating with the Holy Spirit because the Spirit sees everything and knows everything. And when you and I start cooperating with the Holy Spirit, He will say, Psst, that person over there needs my love today. So you randomly, because you sense God saying that, you get up and you show love and somebody's world has changed because you don't even know where their heart was. You don't even know what zone they were in. But God knew what zone they were in. And God sends one of his messengers so that the message can come alive through them. And when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, the world around us changes. So I just want to close in prayer this morning. Ask God to seal some of these things in our heart. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.